Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, welcome back to Better Words. Hello. Caitlin, you're wearing the most Caitlin cardigan I've ever seen. A very cute rainbow striped cardigan. <laughs> I just have to say that. I'm wearing my pajamas. <laughs> yes, I am. Um, for this audio medium, I love talking about real things that people can't see on the I know. Podcast. It's a great so way funny. to start the podcast. <laughs> but um, since you brought it up, I've been getting complimented on it all day at work. And someone told me that I look like Rainbow Bright. And then immediately said, I can tell by the look on your face that you don't know what that is. is. And I said, no, (laughs) I don't. You don't? Okay, I'm glad to have you on side, Michelle. Um, So Rainbow Bright is a character slash toy slash TV show something, one of those things from, like, the 80s. Um, But literally her, like, I Googled, like, we were Googling it when someone told me I looked like this. Um, And literally her costume like car- like the cartoon costume thing I saw was a mainly blue outfit with lots of rainbows and she had a horse that had a rainbow nice. mane and her arms was like a puffer jacket that was basically the exact stripes of this cardigan <laughs> so I was like that is an on-point comparison yeah, love that excellent <laughs> well it's very you so there's yeah. a random thing just because you yeah mentioned it. I love that. <laughs> nice it's always quite nice when you get complimented on something you're wearing it's just like puts a little spring in step sometimes um yeah Yeah. especially if it's like something that you like a a piece of clothing that you really like as well and you're like oh yes thank you I have good taste thank you um so this week we are doing some recommendations do you want to start oh I can start because (laughs) you don't actually know what mine is no um but I know what yours is. (laughs) Um, My recommendation is um, The Trial by Laura Bates. Have you read Oh, no, I haven't, but I really want to. So this is her new YA book, isn't it? It's so good. It is. So it came out last year at some point, and I, I don't think I bought it, like, you know, on pub day or anything, but, like, when it was kind of new. And so it's been on my shelf for a little bit, and... I felt like it after after I felt like reading it after we'd interviewed Ashley Callaghan Blunt. Easter egg. That's not this episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the trial um, is yes, YA. Um, I'm pretty sure I recommended the burning on an. We read the burning together for a book. Did we do club. it as a book club? Mm-hmm. I'll see if oh, I can okay. dig out I the link if it was and just put me. it in. But yes, we, yeah. Yeah, we did it somewhere. But yes, and we've talked about Laura Bates before. But yeah, so this like feisty feminist fiction. Um, so the trial takes place. It is a group of teenagers, three girls, three boys who have been on some kind of basketball slash cheerleading summer tour thing. It's not really explained. It's not that important. Like, it's not that important. And it might just be a thing that I don't really understand because it's like English. And I'm like, what do you mean a summer basketball cheerleading competition tour thing? I don't know. It's confusing. Anyway, 
But the point of the thing is that was funded by one of their very rich parents. So they were flying on a private jet. It crashes and they are stranded on an island in the middle of nowhere. So that happens at the very beginning of the book. It goes, you know, so then the book is broken up by day and they are trying to find coconuts. They're trying to find fruit. They attempt catching fish. You know, it's all about their survival and the dynamics within the group as like, you know, the sort of like low, what am I trying to say? The, one of the like least popular guys or whatever has actually done a lot of camping. So he sort of gets elevated into this alpha position and like the other popular guys, like I feel weird about that and try, you know, it's like all of these different dynamics. Um, but of course something happened the night, the night before they were on this plane, the last night of the tour, the big party, something happened and it's affecting everything on the island and they've got to yeah they've got to survive and not you know hurt each other and our main character is trying to figure out what was going on to sort of save everyone that sounds like really terrifying but in a good way um yeah and it's so funny because i will admit I don't want to like, I don't want to give anything away, but I read about 20 pages of this book before I flicked to the end, which I never, ever do because I was like, I just, are they going to get off the island or not? I just wanted like the answer to that yes or no, but I will not tell you <laughs> what the answer well, is. Well, <laughs> as you're telling me, it make, it gave me like flashback weird side recommendation um, that I should insert here which, and I'm sure you've listened to this, but the episode of Just the Gist, which they recently re-released about the Trashman yacht sinking. Did you? I don't know if I have listened okay, to that Okay, so actually. it is one of the few that I had not gone back and listened to because I found it utterly terrifying to listen to at the time. Um, and they've done it again as a greatest hits and they just released it again like last week, I want to say, or maybe the week before. Um, right. yeah, it is horrific and unhinged and Rosie was like, I forgot how absolutely nuts this was. Basically a ship sinks or a yacht, a yacht sinks during this storm and it's like a survival story and there's lots of sharks and they're trying to kill everybody and people are going crazy and it's just horrible. The trial doesn't sound as horrific, but it just the whole idea of being stranded and having to survive sort of made me think of that. So side recommendation, listen to our favorite podcast, Just the Gist. Um, And it's recently like it'll be (laughs) at the top of the feed because they've recently re-released it. Um, But yeah, I am very much and I'm pretty sure it was either in that or one of the other episodes. Rosie was definitely saying that she wouldn't bother with survival stuff and I'm definitely that person. Like, I'm just like a zombie apocalypse, anything like, nah, I'm out. I'm not bothering. Like, you can kill me first. It just seems like a lot of effort. I really hope that I never get put in a survival situation because I just, I just don't want to do it. For obvious reasons. Yes, I hope not as well. But (sighs) yeah, I really don't know how I would cope. Like, but yeah, in terms of like apocalypse situations as well, like crazy. everything that I enjoy about life 
would not be there. So I just don't see the point in <laughs> fighting for that. Sorry, everybody. But isn't it funny? Cause like I've had that conversation with people and some people's reaction is like, we're going to fight to the end. But then like Jack and I, and then like here, I was like, felt validated hearing Rosie and Jacob discuss it on Just the Gist. Cause I was like, oh, it's not just me. Other people feel this way too. We will go first. <laughs> Happily yeah. so. Anyway, um, that sounds really good. I definitely want to read it just because I really liked the burning and I really like Laura Bates. So I'll definitely be checking that one out. Thank you. No worries. It's really, it's like pretty, it looks very short, but it feels, um, you know, sometimes you look at a small little book and you're like, oh, fly through it, but it is kind of intense. Obviously they're like fighting to survive. Um, but yeah, it's not very long. It's very gripping. It's pretty intense, but yeah, you're just like captivated. Yeah. And the whole time, I mean, I was like, what happened at this party? What could it possibly have to do with being stuck on an island? Interesting. Well, um, now I know what you're going to recommend, but what are you going to recommend? I wish I could surprise (laughs) you because I have been reading another book, but I had to, put it down so that we could prepare for our final interview of the season that we're doing this week because we're really prepared and recording in advance. Um, so I had to, I, I wish I could surprise you with this, but um, I'm going to be recommending Homecoming by Kate Morton, um, which in some ways I think deserves the fanfare of a double recommendation in this episode and also in our monthly wrap up uh, because it has been like six years since Kate Morton released a new book and yeah we've all been everyone's been waiting I love how you like we've all been waiting and you've never read I've not been waiting (laughs) but it was so exciting to see that release date coming up definitely one of my most anticipated books of the year um Kate Morton is Australian but I think she also lives in Britain sometimes um but I think she's from the sunny coast to begin with. So anyway, I can't remember how I found her books a few years ago. They're always like sort of family mysteries, I think is the best way to describe them. There's always a parallel storyline, like a present day storyline and some sort of mystery link back in the family past uh, that then unfolds as well. So you get that dual timeline of the mystery unfolding in real time in both senses if that makes sense um but it's sort of like modern historical fiction so it's all like 20th century sort of stuff so I remember like there's one that's like set in World War II it's modern historical fiction if that makes sense um Kate Morton's books are like 500 pages minimum sometimes 600 pages but honestly you just they're they're chunky chunky, but you fly through them because (laughs) of the way that the story runs backwards and forwards and there's this mystery element you do tend to really get into the story so homecoming um follows jess who is from sydney originally but has been living in london working as a journalist for 20 years (laughs) so immediately i was like oh (laughs) Um, but basically she has to come back to Australia when her grandmother who raised her has a fall and is in intensive care in hospital. So she rushes back to Australia unfolding at the same time. We, um, sort of learn at the start of the book of a really like a a tragedy that shocked a small town in Adelaide Hills in 
1959, on Christmas Eve, a whole family was found dead. They they appeared to have been on a picnic and were just sort of, they looked as if they were sleeping and the children and the mum had had been poisoned. And what is believed to have happened is that the mum may have killed the children and herself. Um, But Jess, our journalist at the start, doesn't know at the time that there's any connection, doesn't know anything about that until her grandmother starts um, sort of saying a few odd things when she's in intensive care. And so Jess starts looking into her own family history and she finds a link to the death of this family in 1959 and she starts looking into what the link is and whether all was as it seemed and yeah that really is the story and I just got so swept up in it it's very clever the way it's written um it's really evocative of you know Australian countryside and stuff like that and I think Kate Morton does a really great job of like fleshing out all the characters in both the past and the present so it all just fully comes to life so it's a really beautiful story um and as you can imagine by the name deals a lot with the nature of home what makes a home um and how it feels to return to a home when you've made a home somewhere else um which was very interesting and fortuitous that I started reading it when we were heading into Brisbane for our uh, UK visa applications (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I absolutely adore the Australian cover for this, but I kept saying to Jack, like, I really wanted to read it because I knew it had come out and the the e-book was still like $20 Um, and I kept saying to Jack, oh, should I get the e-book or should I buy the paperback? Like, should I buy the big like trade paperback? The cover is gorgeous. And then I was like, but should I wait until we're in the UK because she has a hardback in the UK as well because she is such a big author um, now. Like she's, this is probably like her sixth novel, I think. Um, anyway, I ended up getting the the electronic copy because we were traveling and I was like, I don't really, we only have carry-on and I don't want to lug a massive book around. But my <laughs> God, the Australian cover is beautiful. Yeah, it is. It is pretty. What's the UK cover like? So the Australian cover, uh, just to paint a picture everyone I will link in the show notes but the Australian cover is a dark like navy blue I think it's like a a velvety finish and it's got a very close-up picture of like gum tree leaves and like a like a seed pod thing uh like very close up with like a a little fairy wren um key part of the story and then uh homecoming is written in pink and then the UK cover is a lighter blue, like a turquoisey colour, with um, I think like yellow wattle sort of uh, framing oh, right. the outside. Again, well, still a key Australian, part of yeah, yeah, still a key part of the story, and a fairy wren on the front cover. And then I don't like the US cover, which is a very dark, gothic-looking, very like a, a sort of a cathedral of trees almost, but um, like a very dark blue. And I just, I don't love it. Um, But I'll see, I'll link the covers because they are pretty. Um, And I think there's a special edition in the UK that is sprayed edges with little fairy wrens on the edge. So that tells you how much of a big deal she is. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, 
crazy anyway um it's also made me want to go back and read some of her I think there's one of her books I haven't read maybe but the ones that I have read it's sort of been so many years that I I can't really remember what the mysteries are and they sort of blend into one after a while so I think I might go back this year and read a couple of others um of hers um this one is a really good this one is a good one to start with um but also I remember really flying through the lake house um which from memory, the historical element of that is uh, like Cornwall in the 1920s and there's something that happens in the house in the summer and then someone in the house in the present is going back and trying to work out what happened. Um, So, yeah, I think that those two are are really good ones to start with. Mm, Maybe I will have to. Don't be into – I mean, the the size is intimidating but – it's but. funny. It's funny that yours is a small book that was intense and that still took quite a while, whereas this is like a big book, but you sort of end up not noticing because you're just like, oh my God, I need to get yeah, to the end. It's funny how that happens. happens. Like, I mean, I'm not, you know, it didn't take me ages to read the trial or anything, no. but like, like looking at it, it felt like it took longer than I thought it was going to, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 And I think it's funny having read this on my e-reader as well, because obviously I was really aware it was like you have, it's a 13 hour book or whatever. Um, So I think it was quite funny to like see that sort of happening. But the other thing is like the chapters are really short and I feel like when you have a really big book like that, but with short chapters, it feels more manageable because you can just be like, I'm just going to read a chapter today. Yeah. And it feels like you're getting through it. It's not like War and Peace. Yeah. It's not like a slog. (laughs) (laughs) no No offense to war and peace um but yeah it's not a slog to read you can really skip through all the chapters and again that helps with making it feel fast as well because you'll get to a point and then but it'll skip back and you're like no but I need to know what happens in the present so um yeah really I mean I'm just delighted that there's a new Kate Morton book in the world um and as I said it's made me want to go back and enjoy her old books as well so um definitely going to try and reread some of those and maybe figure out which one I haven't read yet and read that <laughs> yeah fantastic there you go so a long book and a short book one about a troubling girl and one about solving a mystery of your home that kind of suits this week <laughs> doesn't it it actually it actually does <laughs> um although we are going to take a much darker turn yeah it's about to get a lot darker in this from episode. here on now um yeah yeah we had such a good time with this interview hope you really enjoy it Our guest this week writes speculative stories with big emotions about food, belonging and the Vietnamese diaspora. They grew up in a big family in Philadelphia, then abandoned degrees in sociology and public health to tell stories in Georgia. When not writing, they can be found over-caffeinating on iced coffee, same, (laughs) and watching zombie movies. She is a Haunting is their debut novel, and that is what we are discussing today. Welcome to Better Words, Trang Tan Tran. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us. I just noticed as Michelle was reading your intro, do you have a nice coffee right now? I do. It's writing <laughs> early. Love it. First thing I got this morning. Love it. It's perfectly um, on theme then where <laughs> you're right and ready to go. Yeah. 
Um, to start us off, can you please, uh, for everyone who hasn't read the book yet, please just tell us a bit about She is a Haunting. Yeah, so um, She is a Haunting is a YA gothic horror novel about this 17-year-old girl named Jade Wynn, um, who is, you know, closeted, bisexual. She's angry. She has this difficult relationship with her dad, um, who, they're, who she's estranged from. Um, but for college money, she goes back to Vietnam to spend time with him for the summer and discovers that the French colonial house that he's renovating to be sort of a bed and breakfast has sinister plans for her and her family. And so she kind of gets involved with like this local girl and, and try to figure out like, what is the mystery of this house? Yeah, and it's oh. certainly like, I mean, haunting is indeed the right word. It's very uh, creepy. And I have to say as well, like, a lot of the elements of the haunting, um, and again, it's it's difficult to talk about this, um, and we're not going to give spoilers, but it, we have to talk a little bit about some elements, but you include a lot about insects and food, and there were some scenes where I was like, ew, this is gross, like, I just, oh, they were so visceral, and the way that you write, like, it really comes to life, but in, like, Oh, it was so gross and there's one scene yeah. in particular like makes your skin crawl or yeah. like you're like why am I reading and eating lunch <laughs> yeah uh, it's not a yeah. good combo and there's like one scene in particular with her sister where I was just like wanting to gag like it was so gross but I wanted to talk to you about this because it feels like I was going to say like quite a different thing to talk about in terms of horror like the sort of the insects and the food and stuff but as I was reading it as well I was thinking a little bit especially with the description of the ants I was thinking a little bit about the last of us and the sort of fungal which I also I watched bits of that I cannot deal with zombie things it makes me too anxious I would just give up if there was a zombie apocalypse I'll say that right now I would be like (laughs) take me I'm not running I don't care first to die I don't care I the little bits of that I saw as my husband was watching last of us uh like little bits with like the fungus growing I was like no I can't so there's clearly something about that and that was like a lot of the imagery that I was having as I read this so Mm -hmm. (laughs) why that as the haunting element why not just go for a plain scary ghost (laughs) well I was definitely inspired by those ants you know I saw the picture and I was like oh man that's so creepy like something taking over your body keeping you alive but basically you're not doing anything that's like in your, in your favor. Like you just bite onto a leaf and then die. <laughs> but, um, well, I have this terrible fear of insects. Really? Um, and I think, yeah, I do. I'm very scared of insects and, um, but very fascinated mm. by them. Watched a lot of Discovery Channel on the TV and like Animal Planet, where, like with all the shows about insects. Um, but also I am very scared of parasites because they can be in literally anything. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know? yeah. And so like those two, we just had an interview where we we're talking about, this is very opposite, but we're talking about sex scenes and she was saying like, you know, if it's not sexy for me, then it's not going to be sexy for the reader. So I wonder now if it's not something you're afraid of, is that fear going to come across to us? Because that I can't believe you actually like. Right? I feel awkward yeah, and gross reading it. I can't imagine it. like oh, writing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like there has to be that element of like, oh, I this is scary to me. If this happened to me, it would be really creepy, right? 
Um, and so that definitely like played into it where I was like, I was drawing a lot from like my own fears. Um, but the other reason why I liked to work in the bugs and like the food is because, you know, food is such a big part of Vietnamese culture and especially like how my family relate to one another. So that theme kind of came up naturally, but where the bugs come in is yes, I am afraid of bugs, but also because, you know, I didn't write it with the intention of it being like a metaphor for colonialism and like parasitic relationships between like two groups of people, mm. but it, it very naturally also came up as a, like a natural metaphor for that, right? Mm. Like this, this foreign force in Vietnam that's sort of like taking advantage of the resources and like having people under different types of labor that is extremely unfair and also very brutal. And so I felt like it was the perfect way to kind of, to kind of get those themes across without it being like, you know, really, really obvious. Yeah. Yeah. And clearly the, yeah, the like so horror <laughs> unsettling element worked because we were both really grossed out by it. <laughs> yeah. Which is why I was yeah. surprised to hear that you're afraid of insects. Not that I wouldn't say, I'm not afraid of insects. I mean, I'm afraid of them them? now, but (laughs) yeah, but (laughs) that I guess I don't. And I don't think you, Michelle, either like have that fascination with them to like be interested and to be able to write them, like write about them in the book the way you do. Like Michelle and I have been messaging each other being like, oh, it's just like, it's creepy. It's like a bit hard to read sometimes some of those scenes. Yeah. And actually, yeah. you know, before we dive any into any of the other questions, um, I think that actually leads quite nicely into the the cover art as well, because the cover art is a oh, beautiful yeah. I mean, but haunting the job. The cover of, is beautiful. Yeah, of, of representing that. Did you feel like that when you saw that, like it got across everything you wanted to within the story? Yes. Yeah. So um, it just... Uh, Bloomsbury did an amazing job with this cover. I was like, first off, I want a Vietnamese American girl on the cover, very obviously, you know, representing, well, not representing, but like being herself, being fierce, but also like just that touch of vulnerability, which is where that single glossy tear <laughs> comes into play. Yeah. And, um, and like the artist just like did an amazing job, like throwing in the elements of like the flowers growing out of her mouth, you know, which sort of references a line from the book, from a, a line from the book and just, yeah, it's just perfect. I'm holding it up it right now. So it's like, it's so good. It so yeah. I know. I just did a quick Google to make sure that the U S and like UK and Australian cover mm. was all the same, but it is. So we're talking about the same thing, yeah. which is yeah. always good to just double check <laughs> with international editions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is such a good cover. It really is like eye catching and gets across that like unsettling uh, creepiness as well that just sort of sits with you the whole time. And actually, you know, I'm very curious from like a craft perspective, how do you as a writer like build in that tension and that sort of unsettled, like as a reader, you're sort of on edge the whole time. How do you craft that as a writer? Oh, it's so hard. (laughs) It's so hard. So so drafting is actually like the most difficult part for me. It's revision where I feel like my work is being done. Because when I draft, I write, you know, I write very few words, actually. My first drafts are very short. And then it's in revision where I add a lot of things. So when I'm revising, what I do is um, actually reverse outline in a spreadsheet. (laughs) 
<laughs> and do a lot of that planning work in a spreadsheet, you know, because my wow. background is in mm. public health and I did data analysis. Wow. And it's so just a real something about then. the columns. <laughs> well, when I'm revising, not when I'm <laughs> drafting. So <laughs> it just helps to lay everything out. So like every, like if I'm doing the reverse outline, every chapter or scene is a row and then every like plot thread slash character arc is a column. So I'm able to track the different things that's happening in each chapter. And if I see like in a row, a bunch of cells that are empty, then I know that I haven't done the work for that arc as well as I should have. But for me, when I track the tension, I actually create another spreadsheet where it's just divided. Like each character is its own, their own column. And then um, I divide my book into four acts. And so I need to know what the overarching character arc for each person is. And then in each act of the book, what are they doing to try to get to that goal? And then when I do that, I very naturally see where two characters who have similar or different arcs and goals, how they're interfering with one another or working together. And that helps me track um, the tension because, you know, the ghosts have a motive, you know, the her dad has a motive, her sister has a motive, and by bumping heads together, you very naturally create the tension. So that's how I how I sort of track the over overarching tension, and that helps like that helps inform like what I need to add per chapter. That's fascinating. Yeah. That is incredible. Yeah. Oh my god, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, well, it worked <laughs> because it felt very yeah. yeah. As you were reading, you like on the edge of your seat. But I yeah, definitely the bits where you know, as you say, certain people have certain motives, and sometimes they're working together, and sometimes they're working against each other, and it all sort of intertwines in a very interesting interesting way um I understand that your parents are refugees so did any Mm. of their experience inform I guess some of what you explore in this novel because Jade's parents are dealing with things in very different ways and it it's really interesting it becomes like you you sort of go in with a certain opinion about Jade's parents and then your Mm -hmm. mind changes as she starts to see things and as you reveal sort of things and you know, there's this one bit, and I, I don't think it's a spoiler to share, um, but there's this one line that I, I had to write down. It's so beautiful of, this is a lonely boy all growing up and still desperate to be accepted home. And there's just so much of Jade's father's emotions and story in this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did any of, you know, the experiences that you've seen your family go through sort of inform the way that you approach that? Yeah, for sure. So they're not like, you know, they're not direct experiences, but it's more of like that um, experience of being, of seeing your parents being separated from the place, you know, that where, where they're born and then um, witnessing sort of like, what are the effects of a family that's torn apart this way, right? Um, so like my mom came to the US in, I think in 1987, and she didn't see her two siblings. She had two brothers left in Vietnam. She didn't see them for like 20 years. Wow. So it's like sort of like that type of um, very real world consequences of what it means when your family split, you know, between by an ocean. Um, And so I wanted to approach Jade's parents with the same kind of nuance where it was like their situation is very specific. So in my mind, even if it's not on the paper, I I knew what their journeys to the U.S. looked like. And I knew like where they're standing with their family. And I wanted them to be very nuanced characters, very real characters. So that's why 
you start the book feeling a certain way about them. And then as Jade learns, you also see more layers to it, right? Because um, I think often the response on the surface, you know, can be very like, like, why are they so abrasive or like this or that? But like, you know, there could yeah. be reasons for it. And it doesn't mean that they should be forgiven. It just means that there, there are layers. And sometimes, you know, um, part of that is <laughs> teenagers go through so much in terms of like understanding where their parents are coming from. And I yeah. wanted Jade to have that experience of like sort of unfolding, like what's happening in her family. Yeah. And she's also going through that a little bit as well and again another bit that I wrote down was and this was a theme that came up a lot was Jade not feeling Vietnamese enough and mm-hmm. feeling sort of out of place mm-hmm. in the, the place I guess that her parents called home and that you know should be her home but she doesn't feel like can you speak to that at all like exploring that in this book how did you feel sort of going mm-hmm. through that sort of stuff yeah so that part of Jade's character is definitely um, a seed of my own fears. You know, I, I started writing this book in 2020. You know, we were all stuck inside our houses. And of yeah. course I was like, oh, I wish I could be somewhere else. And then I started wondering, like, you know, all this time my mom had been inviting me to go to Vietnam with her. And I would, you know, make the same excuses that Jade did when, you know, oh, I'm busy with school. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But really it's because, you know, I don't speak Vietnamese super well. Um, and just by looking at me, you'd be able, like, if I went back to Vietnam, you'd be able to tell that, you know, I don't live there locally all the time, (laughs) right? So there there is that element of, like, feeling like you don't quite belong, even if you are Vietnamese yourself. And that's something that I wanted, that insecurity that I wanted Jade to explore, because I myself was going through the same experience being trapped inside my house. So, um, so like, it, it, yeah, so there's definitely that seed of, like, exploring what it means to belong and what it really means for your family to belong somewhere. It's interesting. I don't know how I didn't think of it because obviously like we interview many authors about their books and it's 2023. A lot of people's books were written while they were stuck at home in 2020 now, like they've come round to publication. And I don't know how I didn't think about the fact that you (laughs) were likely stuck at home writing this book about like this house and they're stuck in the house and she has to like (laughs) stay there Mm -hmm. to earn her college money and everything in this deal with her father that's it's just kind of a funny connection that I didn't think about while reading it (laughs) that being stuck in the house and COVID must have played into the novel a little bit at least Oh yeah, of course. I mean, because I was stuck inside my house and I was like probably overthinking it, but I was like, what, what about all like the abandoned houses across the world? They must be so lonely. Right. Mm. <laughs> and, like, you know, and just thinking about, you know, like how does a house hold memory? How does a house, um, just like all the memories that are made inside a house yeah. and the history that's in a house, but what happens when people no longer visit there, you know, and it it kind of just falls apart, falls into disrepair right? But like, you know, when I was writing the book, it's like a literal (laughs) a house with feelings about being abandoned. Um, And of course, being stuck inside my house, I also did a lot of like looking out the window. And so that was where I saw like, you know, spider webs in the windows and like bugs being trapped there. And I was like, okay, this is the, I, I know what it means to be trapped inside a house. Let me write this girl that's stuck in this house that she can't escape. yeah yeah and also oh, like it's so funny not, it makes perfect sense now not a parasite but like an invisible sort of threat as well um yeah mm-hmm. sort of yeah. yeah all all sort of ties in that unknown thing yeah 
Yeah. But yeah, and as you say about a house that, you know, has history, people live there in the past and everything, and obviously a key element uh, in She is a Haunting is Jade learns about her family um, and, you know, past generations and the history of the house that she's in with her sister and her father and all of the, you know, horrible things in the past in Vietnam. And was that difficult for you to write about, exploring those events as, you know, these ghosts are visiting Jade and um, she's learning about all of that? It was difficult because, you know, sort of when you're doing the research, like you never know what you're going to come across, right? Mm. And I did come across, you know, like either photographs that were really disturbing or just information that's really disturbing. And um, so part of that, like, it was surprising, but also not. Because, like, I, I knew that those things happened, but it was more like being confronted with, like, the historical, like, yeah. facts that, like, you know, it yeah. did happen. Unfortunately, like, yeah, we know these things happen. But mm-hmm. then when you dig a bit deeper and maybe hear, see photos of any, you know, mm-hmm. historical events or read, you know, mm-hmm. people's letters or hear more firsthand mm-hmm. accounts. Like it's really mm-hmm. tricky for like a lot of people about a lot of different, you know, parts of history. Yeah. And the challenge was like, you know, how to incorporate information in the book that provides context for what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I, I, I wanted the house to feel like a very, um, like a house with history, like a personal history, a house that lived through things and a house that remembers things. And so I had to be very context specific in terms of like, what did this house live through? And then what in relation to that, like what did Jade's family uh, many generations ago live through and that what effects from that is still, in a, you know, haunting her family in a sense. Um, so that was one challenge of like how to create this, context without like it being a history book because I never want my books to feel like a history book right it's it's just a very specific situation and the other part is you know how do I include information without it feeling like you know um sort of too much or too extra in terms of like just exploiting you know these details for you know for gore or whatever and that's not something that I want I wanted it to feel very real and emotional and like a response that like a teenager would have versus something that's like thrown out there for shock value yeah yeah because the I mean particularly like photos and things that Jade finds yeah I guess have to be like shocking enough for her but also yeah you don't want to yeah I guess play into that or have it like be yeah like Mm -hmm. gratuitous in any way um Mm -hmm. yeah that must have been or yeah. take over the story yeah or take well, over the story yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah a difficult line to tread for sure yeah um and you know is it something that I guess like we we we're not taught as much in school especially about Vietnam like in Australia for example we mainly mm-hmm. learn about the Vietnam War that you know 
Al mm-hmm. and, and like I have like in-laws who were in that war and stuff and like that's like our context for it but we don't really learn about like the French colonialism and do you think that that's like lacking a bit in like discussions when we talk about Vietnam because like it was certainly not something I was as familiar with yeah for sure it's it's the same in the U.S. where like you know if we learn anything it's about the Vietnam War and it's always from the American perspective right so yeah. even all the media out there like like movies and stuff it's from like the American soldiers perspective um so yeah I do feel like it's lacking and that's part of why um I wanted to dig into it a little bit and see because there are connections between those two things right because the French were here for such we're in Vietnam for such a long time and it created the conditions for these other things to happen for these um for people to have the motivations that they did and to have the land I guess right for um, sort of uh, the Americans to come and like, you know, all these things to happen, like they're all related. And I feel like, you know, if we just talk about it as like the Vietnam War, it makes it seem like, oh, the, the North and the South are fighting themselves and then the Americans came to help. But no, you know, like the land was literally occupied and then these are movements that grew within that occupation, right? Mm. Yeah, it's very, like, I guess, simplified story that gets passed Mm -hmm. down. And, yeah, Yeah. it's always from a perspective. Yeah, from the we came to help perspective Mm. that is taught in Australia and in the Mm -hmm. US. Um, So, yeah, Yeah. it was definitely... That's an interesting part of the uh, novel as well is the uh, white couple who, uh, like, come round to dinner. Yeah. Thomas and Alma. (laughs) Even just, I mean, even if we just talk about sort of the first time that Jade meets them um, or when they come around for dinner and it's that, I just found that so interesting because Jade and Lily were like, uh, her sister Lily are just like, um, hello, like what are these people doing here? (laughs) Or like you have a completely different version of history in your head and Mm -hmm. your father's just trying to do a business deal, really. Mm. Like... Yeah. And like they both have different versions of, you know, the history of the house and like how they view that. What was it like writing those characters? Um <laughs> they were fun characters to write because I knew that I was gonna give them what they deserved by the end. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no spoilers, no spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> no spoilers. But it it was fun because it's almost like poking fun at some of sort of like the academics around these topics, you know, because certainly, you know, I, I mainly read in English. I don't really read it in, in Vietnamese at all. So a lot of the sources I was reading are actually from either, you know, white Americans or um, French scholars. And it was interesting, like how that information is filtered through that lens, because I, I feel like everything is filtered through, through a of lens, course, even yeah. if it is supposedly historical. Yeah, well, history, like right? has everything is, there's no like such thing as an objective source of history, like everything has some sort of bias attached to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And I, I wanted to present a view that claims to be historical and claims to be um, based on academics that's really not, you know, that is also viewed by um, through her own bias. Um, and so it was important to me to, to present that because I feel like that's also an annoyance that probably many marginalized communities face is like people who are experts in their like people from the outside who claim to be experts within 
this marginalized community, even if they don't have any lived experience there. Um, so it was fun. It was fun to write, but also annoying because I was <laughs> like these situations that Jade had to find herself in. Right? It was yeah. just like too real, too real. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it is a bit fun to poke, like, yeah, to poke fun at that type of person yeah, um, yeah which you know as we are obviously two white women i still found it very funny yeah yeah <laughs> um and oh, so man. i understand too that you've made some playlists as well for she is a haunting and also your next book which we're going to ask you about a little bit later um what role does music mm-hmm. play in your writing yes alongside the spreadsheet I... yeah alongside the spreadsheet <laughs> <laughs> so I love music so much and um, the right music really puts you in the mindset of your mm. book. So I always, when I start a new story, I put together a playlist and it's not like a full playlist. I'll just add songs as I go on that like either inspire certain scenes or like set the mood and, you know, just listen to the song obsessively. My partner is so tired of me listening to the same song like 50 times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when I'm writing a book, it's like I'm writing a scene. I'm like, okay, I have to put this specific song on repeat until I'm done. And then yeah. to the to the point where I'm like so sick. Of, I'm sick of it myself. <laughs> and sometimes I can't even listen to parts of the playlist anymore because I'm like, oh, this brings back memories. <laughs> Is that like motivation to write? It's like if you finish the scene, you can stop listening to this damn song. You know, I wish it motivated me better. I wish it really did. Because yeah. <laughs> at some point I'll like, I did get to the point where I was like, okay, I have to turn the song off and just yeah. like write in silence because it's like, now it's like getting in my head too much, mm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. We will include links as well. Cause, um, you've linked them on, mm-hmm. on your website and stuff. So people can, can get the vibe either if they've read it, if they're reading it yeah. or if they want to get the vibe a little bit before they start reading, she is a haunting. Um, so we always love talking about authors journey to publication, I guess. And, you know, I was mm-hmm. reading a blog post you wrote about how you got an agent and it sort of sounded like you had a really fascinating, albeit slightly traumatic, um, journey to publication. Can you share a little bit more about that whole journey with us? Yeah. Um, so it was a bit of a unicorn journey and that it happened fairly quickly in terms of, you know, publishing in general. Um, so I actually um, quit my job in the middle of the pandemic. I'd actually been planning to for a little bit where, um, you know, because I was working as a data analyst at the public health department here in the States um, in New York City. And I was like, oh, what am I doing with my life? You know, <laughs> I had this, like, this crisis and I was like, I need to do something different. And, you know, I, I saved up a little bit of money. Um, and in June, June 2020, I I quit my job and I was like, let's give it one year, one year to, to do, to give it my all. Right. And I wasn't even thinking about one year to get an agent. I like wanted one year to just focus on writing and see where it got me. Right. Um, and it turns out, you know, I wrote the book pretty quickly, um, in three and a half months and then I revised it in four and then, um, I started querying and then I got my first offer two days into querying incredible (laughs) so it was really incredible it was very very quick (laughs) and then um I ended up with 
eight offers. The, probably the traumatizing part was what happened at the end where I got food poisoning on the day I was supposed to, I, I was supposed to decide and I was, act, I got food poisoning so terrible that I ended up in the emergency room oh, no. <laughs> and I had to make my decision when I was like so ill, but yeah. But in terms of the journey itself was like very quick and painless otherwise. And um, I signed with my agent in early, early May. And then we went on sub with a book in June. It was, yeah, it was June. And then we had interests within like three days. And then we went to auction like two weeks later. So it literally happened within a year from when I quit my job. So it was just, it was both amazing, but also like, is this really happening? Is this a dream? Yeah, am I going to wake up and this is, I mean, I'm going to be back going to work the next day? Like, That's incredible. You gave yourself a year and you, like, the book was at auction a year later. That's, yeah. Ama- like, that's, I mean, apart from the horrible food poisoning, that's like the dream <laughs> journey. Yeah, but I yeah. read in that blog post as well that writing might have been something that you sort of dreamed of but never really thought would be possible so I mean obviously you had got to the point where you're like I'm gonna give it a go save up a bit of money Mm -hmm. you know I'm gonna take the leap from from being employed and and give this a go how did you get to that point it it took a long time I mean you know because my parents are refugees and um, when I was 18 my mom was like when I told her I wanted I told her I wanted to be a writer she's like you can't be a writer like you can't support yourself by writing, right? And I, I totally understand, you know, because I, I also value stability. You know, I see how hard my family works um, for very little pay and how how troubling that can be, you know, mm-hmm. when you're living paycheck to paycheck. Um, and I and I always wanted to be someone who could support myself, right? And so that, that's why I kind of like veered into like these other careers and really tried to find a passion somewhere else. And that's also why I self-rejected. I never gave myself the chance. I was like, well, you're not. I was writing, but I was writing more in like fandom spaces and just for my yeah. things I would never like other people would see, right? But like I, I wasn't writing to like professionally publish. Even though many people work full-time jobs, the, probably the majority of authors work full-time jobs and write at the same time. But I never gave myself that chance. And it wasn't until, you know, and then, you know, I had cancer in my early 20s. And in the U.S., the, the healthcare system is like very messed up, right? And from then it was like, oh, now I need to be employed so that I have health insurance. So it's like, yeah. you know, a full 10 years of being like, you can't be a writer, you can't be a writer. Um, until that moment where I was like, just... I can no longer not chase the dream that I wanted, right? And just feeling like I didn't want, um, I didn't want to feel like I didn't give myself that chance. You know, I was like, I'm stable enough right now that I can try this for a li- for a short period of time and see how it goes. And it worked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it worked out. Yeah. And in a way, I feel like that that experience was necessary in terms of like, you know, not doing it for because who I was 10 years ago is very different from who I am now right I wouldn't Mm -hmm. have been able to write the book that Mm -hmm. I did um and like it so I feel like it all worked out 
and it's fine. And now my mom is like checking up on me all the time about the second book. Like now she's all she's, in. Yeah. She's like, are you turning in your second book? She's soon? your biggest cheerleader. <laughs> yeah. You got to keep this going. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, but sure. you know, did you have like that, that the times that you were working and doing that, were you also like writing? Were you thinking of ideas and was it more just like, the actual like the publication side of things that you were like I can't be an author but like I'm writing in my spare time um I did write in my spare time but it was more for like writing with friends like we would make up characters together and we would write together that type of thing so I thought a lot about like I did a lot of like character development so like not characters for books but just like characters that felt full and had their own lives and personalities so I feel like all of that work that I did just to have fun really informed my writing currently right and it also helps just to be completely so in love with writing that like you don't need to be published to be happy right at that point at that point for me but it did get to the point where I was like I have stories that I want to tell you know with my own characters that I that I do want other people to read and that was when I had to take the leap yeah yeah that must have been a bit scary though like actually like quitting and being like okay I'm gonna give this a go <laughs> yeah that's a pretty it, good it was scary it was scary but at that point I was like I, I will regret it forever I mean and I could have you know stayed in a job and like wrote after work before work plenty of people do that but I I'm just I just knew myself like I'm the type of person that needs to be obsessed with an idea and like chase after it and just throw myself into it very bad at that multitasking I'm very yeah. low energy yeah. so, so if I spend all my energy at work by the time I come home I'm mush so yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Gonna happen. and it sounds like you had like quite an intense job as well I imagine not the sort of job that you can just like half ass either oh yeah so yeah I was a um for six years I was a data analyst at the New York City Department of Health um so like running like writing code for like to run programs with like very very big sets of data like millions and millions of observations so it required it required a different part of my brain it was still creative work in the sense that like you know when you write a program you're trying to write the best program and the most efficient program that Mm. you can that does what you want it to do and there's multiple ways to that goal that end goal right and I love that challenge and it was it was fun for a long time and I still I actually still miss it sometimes um, so it was, cha- it was challenging and it was also cre- creative in a way that you wouldn't think. So it wasn't something that I could like be writing on the side. Yeah, you know? but I think too, like, I think a lot of us grow up thinking creativity is literally just like painting or writing, but actually like, mm-hmm. I think it was, um, I think it's Steve Jobs that this comes from where he said like, actually creativity is just finding a way to do something that hasn't been done before. So there's like, I think it it takes a long time to unlearn that idea of like you are not just creative if you dance or if you do theater or if you paint like yeah there are so many ways to be creative and sometimes that is finding a solution like the problem solving side of things can be creative in itself but we just don't like as a society consider it as creative yeah yeah and the thing is you know when we would finish like and I had a team like I was in a team of other data analysts and you know 
we would finish writing a program, we would exchange programs so that they can check your work, right? And I always had that very proud moment of like, look at what I figured out. And it's so, this, the solution was so great. It's almost like sharing like a chapter of your work. It's like, look at this thing I spent a whole week <laughs> yeah. writing. This is a bunch of numbers and formulas, but look at how beautifully it runs. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I love that. And I have to say, I mean, you know, if you worked for years as a data analyst, no wonder you have all those spreadsheets yeah. to <laughs> track your novel. Yeah. That makes sense now um <laughs> makes so much sense. and yeah but then as you did get into you know the traditional publishing uh side of things like with your agent and it you know working with a publisher and editor was there a part of the whole process that really surprised you as a as a debut author I mean it, it shouldn't have been surprising but just how long everything, everything <laughs> yeah. takes in publishing it's like it's it's either like it'll take forever or it needs to happen in two seconds like there's yeah. like two speeds and it's like on and off basically so that was surprising but like everything else felt like very smooth going um knock on wood I mean right now I'm working on my second book and that has not been smooth going like <laughs> so I've just been telling people you know I like the first book came out easily. The second book is like fighting me tooth and nail. So it's like, I'm getting what I deserve now. (laughs) (laughs) But I understand too, like, um, you know, you're breaking down in that blog post a bit of like, you know, sending out a tweet and, you know, putting your idea out there, I guess. But the response you got from that, like, was, was that like quite overwhelming? Like, oh, like I'm just giving this a go, but people genuinely, like people want this. What the hell? Like, was that a bit of a surprise at the time when all that was, it must've been yes. quite a lot to deal with at the time. Like you said, didn't feel real for a while. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was so surprising. The response that I got from like the Twitter community, the writing community there. Um, when I was like, you know, doing the different pitch contests, I did do one pitch contest. Um, and the response as well from like when the book was sent out from like editors and then from agents, it's just, has been amazing, you know, because I knew that, like, you know, um, I mean, I, I knew that horror was horror and YA was, you know, becoming more popular. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, I didn't see many stories that were similar to mine, so I didn't know. I didn't know that it was going to be, you know, I guess attractive or like something that people would want. But it turns out, like, it had the specific elements. Like, it was a combination of like story and luck, you know, which is with any experience in publishing but yeah just the response from everyone was just like wow now I really want to have to finish it polish it and send it out (laughs) it sounds like it came in like at the at the right time then in your journey to just be enough of a motivator to like keep going and yeah like yeah get it get it finished and and get it sent out yeah yeah because it was really my first time participating in any type of writing community writing circle like online um, and that's probably also why I finished the book so quickly is because I wasn't on Twitter as much, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. but, um, but it was the first time I was participating and it just, it was very, you know, very positive and it felt very friendly and, and those things were a draw where it was like, Oh, there's all these people suffering with me. <laughs> we're all doing the same thing. Yeah. You have people who get it as well. And yeah, you can talk about the mm-hmm. like intricate details of, of trying to figure out parts of your plot before we move on to your second book if we can just get a sneak peek there um how did you feel when it hit the new york times bestseller list oh my goodness (laughs) i was like i was so shocked 
first of all, I mean, like, I, it hit the indie um, bestseller list that morning, but I knew that, like, you know, I had a lot of indie support because, you know, I had gone to all these industry trade shows and I met a lot of booksellers from um, the smaller indie shops. So I, I didn't expect it, but, like, I knew I had met a lot of booksellers, so I felt like that was a possibility. But the New York Times bestseller list is, like, is you can't ever predict it because it's curated <laughs> You know, and, and you don't often see horror books, I think, on the YA side hit. So that was another mm-hmm. thing. So it was, like, incredible. I I did take a nap in the afternoon. I was like, this is too much for me. I'm going to go to sleep. <laughs> I, and I slept for, like, two hours. And then I missed a call from someone on my publishing team. And, like, she had left me a message. She's like, call me back. And I was like. And they never call me. So I was like, what, what is this It's either about? really good or really bad. And I called, <laughs> yeah, I was like, what is going on? And I called back and I'm like, hello, what what, what do you need? She, and then she told me that it hit at number four. And I was like, wait, what? Because <laughs> I was like still half asleep. And I was like, I think I sat like in like a daze for like 30 minutes after where I, I didn't even call my mom. I didn't call my agent. I was just like, what happened (laughs) yeah yeah oh my goodness I mean that it just must be so crazy because I mean obviously you know any everyone like wants that you want the book to be a bestseller like you want those things but you know getting published and everything is hard enough like as we've been discussing like it was published like tick like you wrote it you weren't supposed to get an agent like tick 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 and then and then that must be so like hard to comprehend some in some way I know it it just it feels completely bananas I was like how is this my life like how like it was like the the most interesting week of my life where it was like good news and good news and good news and And I mean, this is probably a really silly question, but how, you know, would you have felt as a young reader seeing, you know, a story which discusses like Vietnamese and American culture, which talks about race and racism and colonialism and all that sort of stuff, like hitting the bestseller charts? Oh my goodness. It, you know, when I was growing up, like the only, you know, representation for like Vietnamese culture that I had that was like an English speaking media was like this Hey Arnold episode, you know, about the guy who lives in the building who's searching for his daughter, um, who he was separated from um, when he came to America. And then Trang Pak from Mean Girls, which is like this, this oh, girl God. that's dating <laughs> disgusting coach at their school, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I was severely lacking as a kid. So um, it feels amazing. And had had I been able to see, you know, a book like this or have a book like this, I, I feel like I would have been comforted, you know, because for a long time, I also didn't write um, my own stories. Like all of my characters were white. Um, they had no, and while like, you know, my experiences of like, you know, family and like different, you know, very human experiences still inform those characters. It was very much lacking, you know, the background that I, that I came from. And I never want to say that, you know, I write identity books because I don't, um, but I want to write about a very specific experience and a very specific girl, right? A final girl who is Vietnamese American, who feels these different things, and who's going through a terrible time with this haunted house, but is also having a fun time 
partially, you know, because there's this cute girl that she has a crush on in the yeah, worst yeah. of times, right? So, yeah, so, it made it sound very like dark, but there is some really cute stuff in there as well. And you are like, yeah. come on, guys. Like, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, like, it's like that balance of, you know, dark and sweet that I really like. And the, I think the other thing that um, I have been so honored and touched by is being able to see my full name on the New York Times bestseller list, a very Vietnamese name. Um, because at the beginning, I was considering writing with a pen name, you know, like an Americanized first name and then my last name. But I decided to go my full name, the name that my mother gave me. And it just feels so good to be able to see Trang Pan Tran on the New York Times bestseller list. It just feels crazy. Yeah. How does how do your parents feel about this as well? Like coming to America and and now to see their daughter, um, and as you say, with your full Vietnamese name. Well, my mom. Well, at first, my mom didn't understand what the New York Times bestseller list, and I had to like explain <laughs> to her. I was like, "This deal. is this is important, mom. This is important. Um, Very important. Internationally yeah. recognized. It's a huge deal." <laughs> yeah, and she she's proud and she has told me that she's proud and it's she's very sweet she came to my book launch she bought like seven copies of the book at my book launch and none of them were for herself (laughs) none of them were for her they were for like her friends and like clients at the nail salon that she works to that she's giving away copies Uh (laughs) so nice yeah it's very sweet. sweet Um, and you know, not that we want to stress you out about writing the book or anything. Um, but can you tell us a bit about your second book? Yeah. So, um, my second book is another YA horror novel. Um, and it is also partly inspired, you know, by a place that I've lived. Um, I used to live in the deep South in Louisiana. Um, and this place that, um, has very few people living there anymore after this hurricane hit. Um, so the story itself is about, um, this, Vietnamese American mother and daughter pair um, who are living in sort of like this almost apocalypse um, environment where, you know, this red algae is sort of taking over this town. Um, And it's all about how a monster learns to love herself and what it means to be a monster and exploring sort of like um, what it means when you feel like you're monstrous and that you do terrible things and you're unworthy of love. And like, what does the journey to loving yourself look like? So it's all about that. So it has everything that I love about um, She's a Haunting, you know, like the family relationship, but also like this, this very personal journey that the main character goes through. Wow. Um, and I feel like I'm going to be really creeped out by the algae now as well. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to discuss these like slightly creepy things. Um, and thank you for sharing, you know, so much of your like family and sort of your yeah. story and there your whole journey well. and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah thank really you so much it. for having me. Where can people find and follow you online? So you can find me on Twitter at NVTran or Instagram at NVTran underscore or my website, which is just my full name dot com. Thank you for listening to Better Words. You can chat to us on Instagram at betterwordspod. And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book-loving friend and leave a rating or review. Mm-hmm.